Locked On Podcast Network presents Locked On Sports Today. When it comes to the mystery of the Denver Broncos' disappointing 2022 season, Sean Payton knows who done it, Nathaniel Hackett. What exactly does he have to gain by dredging up the past? Also, the U.S. women's soccer team gets to work on another World Cup run. And can the Pac-12 survive all of these departures? I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the can't-miss stories and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on sports today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. With all the heat right now around the globe, shade, it's necessary. Sean Payton had plenty of it in a conversation in which he said Nathaniel Hackett's lone season in charge of the Denver Broncos might have been one of the worst coaching jobs in NFL history. He said, whatever they did last year, we're going to do the opposite. I guess we'll call that the George Costanza coaching method. So where do we go from here for the Denver Broncos? Cody Rourke from Locked on Broncos has been in the building, has been watching Sean Payton work through camp and through the spring host of Locked on Broncos. And Cody joins me now. Cody, uh, you were also there for the Nathaniel Hackett experience. I'm not going to ask you to confirm or deny if this was the worst coaching uh, performance in NFL history. To your mind, though, what's different about what Sean Payton is doing versus Nathaniel Hackett? Well, you know, there there's a lot of structure involved with Sean Payton. You know, during OTAs and minicamp, there was a lot of teaching. There was a lot of, we're doing this, and this is why we're doing it. And if we do this well, this is what will happen. A very educational statistics, analytics-based approach from Sean Payton. But now in training camp, it's up-tempo. It's carrying all that over into full speed. There is structure behind what the Broncos are doing in training camp, and and they're efficient in between drills. Whether you're going from individual to seven-on-seven seven in group period to special teams to team, it's bounce, bounce, bounce. We, we have a mission. We have so much time we're allowed on the field, and we need to be as efficient. We need to get as many reps as possible. That's how Sean Payton operates. Last year under Nathaniel Hackett, Hackett had a different approach, and you know what I'm talking about here, Peter. He, he, it's not that he's a bad coach in a sense or a bad guy. Players loved him, but when it comes to being a head coach and when you have to put your foot down, he simply couldn't do it last year, and that created a lot of issues that we ultimately saw boil over with the team that led to him being the first coach fired in his first season in the NFL minus outside of any wrongdoing. You know, you talk about Urban Meyer. Well, there was some egregious stuff that he was doing, which led to it. We're talking about wins and losses, performance-based. It's been a while since that has happened. Nathaniel Hackett, the first really in, in kind of modern history outside of the, the Meyer debunkle there. But it, it just seems like, and I hate to say this because this comes across wrong in a way, but it just seems like there's an adult in the room. I, I came away with several practices last year during training camp, Peter, with Nathaniel Hackett, and I felt like they just it felt like they wasted this practice, felt like they wasted valuable opportunities to get good, meaningful reps in or, or good group periods in. Haven't had that yet so far under Sean Payton. It's going to elevate. It's going to ramp up even further here. So uh, part of me wonders, and Billy Turner said this, Billy Turner now with the Jets, <laughs> who does not appreciate the Nathaniel Hackett uh, shade here. Um, was in Denver last year, of course, was in Green Bay with Daniel Hackett. He's now with the Jets because Sean Payton had some pointed things to say about the Jets, compared them to the the, the so-called dream team, mentioned the the, uh, the the commander spending spree when they were a, a different Washington name. And he said, you watch, basically, saying this is not going to go well in New York. Uh, how much of this do you think is a coach going, this is what Billy Turner is suggesting, oh, this is going to be a bigger 
rebuild than I realized. And I'm actually setting this up as someone else's fault. Yeah, that's a great question because I think when you look at it, I, I think a lot of where Peyton's comments really come from is the hype that we see, right? And, and Denver, and he even, look, Sean Payton, he's not, he didn't just throw the, the Jets in terms of taking a shot at them or Nathaniel Hackett. He essentially threw new ownership, the, you know, the coaching staff from last year, even the PR department yeah. under the bus in his comments here today. And even Greg Penner, he talked to us yesterday and he told us Sean Payton has very high expectations. He communicates that. And he holds people accountable. And so far, we've seen it. And look, it was embarrassing last season what had happened with the Broncos. But I think Peyton's comments were more aligned to the fact that, hey, and, and look, the Jets didn't want to do it. The Jets didn't want to do hard knocks. But it's like, okay, hey, they went and they got Aaron Rodgers. They went and made a bunch of these moves. There's a lot of hype. Like, they won the offseason. The same thing that the Denver Broncos did last offseason. I think he was more so talking about how we see that happen year in and year out with some teams. And it doesn't always work out. But, hey, it makes that uh, Week 5 matchup in Denver a little spicier here, Peter. Uh, I know that's going to be you know, a while from now, but I, I think for Peyton, he sees it because when Nathaniel Hackett got hired in New York, the New York media was like, it was all Russell Wilson's fault. Nathaniel Hackett was the scapegoat in a sense. I think Sean Payton took a lot of that personally because he's been working with Russell Wilson. He's obviously going to be in charge of what Russell Wilson does, and he kind of came out today and said, I have my players' backs in this situation. Stay up to date all here on the Denver Broncos by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and Locked On Broncos on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Coming up, how can the U.S. women's soccer team win its third straight World Cup title? Before we answer that, the Cincinnati Bengals saw the worst thing you can see in training camp. Take your first swing at betting Major League Baseball on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet back in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets. Win or lose. That's $200 you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run. The Arizona Diamondbacks find themselves home dogs to the Seattle Mariners tonight. FanDuel has the D-backs plus 120. Of course, you can also combine multiple prop bets in a single game for a bigger payout with FanDuel's same-game parlay, all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on Major League Baseball than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get up to $200 back in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. Seeing your star quarterback leave the training camp field on a cart is never a good sight, but that's what the Cincinnati Bengals saw on Thursday. Joe Burrow was practicing a rollout play when he fell untouched into a heap on the ground. Reports of a calf strain have been confirmed, so it's not as bad as it could have been. Certainly not as bad as some feared it would be. Still, Burrow has yet to experience a normal training camp since he was drafted. His rookie year, COVID. His second year, he was rehabbing. His third year, he had a ruptured appendix. It's all gone pretty well outside of training camp for Burrow, though, so maybe this will end up being nothing but a blip in the 2023 radar for him. Thursday was just not a good day. NFL training camp for star players. The Miami Dolphins will be without Jalen Ramsey to begin the season. The Dolphins star cornerback will undergo surgery on his meniscus in his left knee and could miss a few months, according to reports. The good thing is that Ramsey's ACL reportedly remains intact. Ramsey left Thursday's practice after colliding with receiver Tyree Kill and was carted back to the locker room after the Dolphins, remember, traded a third-round pick 
and tight end Hunter Long for Ramsey this offseason to pair him with all-pro cornerback Xavier Howard. The Milwaukee Brewers wanted to get in on the trade action, acquired Carlos Santana in their quest to find a cleanup hitter. No, we're not talking about the guitar player. Probably not going to be great in at-bats in Major League Baseball at this point. The Brewers made a rare in-division trade with the Pittsburgh Pirates that will send 18-year-old shortstop prospect Johnny Severino to the Pirates. Rowdy Telez had spent most of the time this season as the cleanup hitter in Brew City, but only had a 216 batting average before he went on the IL. Santana, not that much better. A 235 batting average with 53 RBI. The only Brewer with more RBI, Christian Yelich, who regularly hits leadoff. Santana signed through the end of this season. Shohei Otani celebrated the Angels pulling him off the trade market and acquiring more pitching by going berserk on the Tigers. Hey, not sure why Congress is interviewing somebody about aliens when you've got a real live unicorn in Southern California terrorizing Major League Baseball. Hey, everybody, it's Mike Frisch, one half of Locked on Angels. The Angels get a doubleheader sweep and a series sweep against the Detroit Tigers thanks to Shohei Otani. In Game 1, he threw a complete game shutout, and in Game 2, he hit not one, but two home runs, and the Angels walk away with a big victory just three games out of the wild card. They made a big trade, and John and I are going to talk about all of it on Locked on Angels. Come and join us. And tempers flared after a misunderstanding in the Cubs-Cardinals game, but it was the Cubs that had the last laugh after a blowout win. The story from this game in a quiet MLB night was Miles Michaelis getting thrown out three batters in, throwing an Ian Happ twice in a row after Ian Happ unintentionally knocked out Wilson Contreras from the game. He didn't actually knock him out, but he, he was bloody on his head with a, uh, a backswing from Ian Happ. So Contreras had to leave the game, which was unfortunate. There was no intent from Ian Happ, but you know the Cardinals were still upset that that cost Contreras the game. Michaelis threw a ball up and into Happ, missed him, then threw another one right at him, kind of forced the umpire's hand, and Michaelis was ejected. Uh, Dakota Hudson came in and got knocked around, and the Cubs were pretty much playing this game from the front foot early on. Justin Steele, 4-0 this season against the St. Louis Cardinals, um, has been as good as any pitcher uh, across the major leagues. Cubs are rolling, just five and a half now out of the division and four out of the wild card. Keep it going. Here is another story you need to know. The U.S. women's national team trying for their third consecutive World Cup had to win a rematch with the Netherlands in their Group E showdown. It was a scrap, punctuated by a scrap and the equalizer from Lindsay Horan in a hard-fought draw. Now, it's all up to one game next week to see who will win the Group E competition. Lindsay Schnell from USA Today joins me now. And Lindsay, this is a sport where... The U.S. women's national team dominates. This is a format where the U.S. women's national teams dom- dominates. How concerned should we be that they did not, in fact, dominate the other night? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think that that is what a lot of people were worried about, especially because <clears throat> they went down right away. It was the first time since I think it was 2011 that they had ever trailed in a group game uh, at the World Cup. Incredible. So. 
that was a little concerning and they looked bad the first half. They looked out of sorts. They looked, this is a young, inexperienced team. There's 13 or 14 players making their World Cup debut. Mm. Uh, so, and they looked like it uh, in the first half against the Netherlands. And then fortunately, Lindsay Horan, the captain, comes to the rescue, 62nd minute with that awesome header uh, that came as a result of her getting ticked off. And she said <laughs> afterward, she said, and her boyfriend, who is a professional soccer player in Europe, said, you know, you don't want to tick Lindsay Horan off. Should people be concerned? Probably a little bit. Um, but I think that most people who follow soccer knew that going into this Women's World Cup, it was going to be different. The U.S., like you said, trying to do something that no team has ever done. And they're doing it with a different looking roster. This is like a passing of the baton. We've got the older generation, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, handing off to like the next young superstars, Sophia Smith, Trinity Rodman, Naomi Girma. But this is also a team that's been hit with some injuries before they went to the World Cup. So they're missing some key pieces. Now, I think you could argue that the Netherlands was like their wake up call, right? They're, maybe it was the trap game that other people were worried Portugal was. I think that the best thing, the thing that will make everyone feel better from the fans to the coaching staff to the players is to go out and dominate Portugal, increase that goal differential and play. You know, they looked in the first half against the Netherlands, like they were playing chase, like they were chasing the Netherlands. They're used to people chasing them. So I think that's what they need to get back to. And then maybe everyone can calm down. Yeah, Netherlands dominated the possession of the ball the entire game, really, not just the first half. And, and so you mentioned this, this match with Portugal. If you're not familiar with the scoring in the World Cup, things like goal differential matter, especially now that this game was a draw it is one win each and one draw each. So this next match looms large for both of these teams. The United States has that plus three goal differential after taking down Vietnam, but now the Netherlands get Vietnam. Can you just explain what they need to do here moving forward so that they can win this, this group stage? So basically they need to keep their goal differential at what it is or higher, which is why the more goals that they score against Portugal, the better. Um, it's hard to know what's going to happen in the Netherlands-Vietnam game. I think it's safe to assume that the Netherlands is going to win. But if they go and win six to nothing, then you're stressed if you're the U.S. That was part of why in the last World Cup, when the U.S. played Thailand in the group, in group play, they won like 13 to one or something crazy. And it gave them this huge gap this huge cushion. So they don't have that now. Um, and I think that there's a lot of pressure on the U S you know, they have been so dominant for so long and the longer you play with not much cushion, the tighter you're going to get. So if they can go out and do what Sophia Smith did in the first game against Vietnam and score in the first 15 minutes, that's going to make everyone feel a lot better. And they want to, the, here's the important thing. So the top two teams from each group go, but if you finish in the second place in Group E, your path in the knockout round to the final is much harder. You're going to run into a lot of really talented teams, England, Sweden, Germany. If you get the first seed and you go on the other side of the bracket, you're going to be able to avoid those teams until the final. So they really, really want to finish in first place in Group E. Follow every moment of action from the Women's World Cup by subscribing to Locked On Sports today on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Coming up, can the Pac-12 survive? USC and UCLA are gone to the Big Ten. That is still a profoundly weird thing to say. 
Now Colorado is leaving for the Big 12. Kind of feels like everyone is packing up and heading out. So can the Pac-12 remain a conference with only nine member schools? Host Spencer McLaughlin of Locked On Pac-12 weighs in. The Pac-12's continued inability to not get the media deal done, to not finalize it, even though we were assured several days ago that the longer we wait, the better our options get, according to George Klyovkov. Even though they have said time and time again that they're committed to staying together. Rob Mullins at Oregon said that, they, that he was as optimistic as ever uh, about the prospect of the Pac-12 media deal. They now have to go back and, and seemingly restart on that. But priority number one for the Pac-12 has to be stopping anyone else from leaving and convincing them that the Pac is now the best place to be. So the question of the Pac-12 survival here, I think, hinges upon that fact. Can you prevent more schools from jumping ship? I don't know how you do that when you haven't completed a media deal. And what is this going to do to the media rights negotiations? If Colorado is no longer a part of it, how much value were they bringing to the deal? How much were they adding? I, I don't know. They're not the biggest television brand, and they have not been historically. I mean, for the most part, they have been a bottom third team. They've had two winning seasons in the Pac-12 since they joined in football. They have not been moving the needle in a significant way. Now, their potential, the reason this is a blow to the Pac from a football standpoint, is the potential of them becoming a contender with Deion Sanders there is very real. That's why it's a blow. It's not an immediate blow in terms of, hey, you were gonna, you know, you're losing your conference contender in 2024. No, I don't think they were going to be at that level necessarily. They might have been a good team. But so for the pack to continue to survive, you you have to stop anyone else from 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 jumping. So the interesting thing about this, from everything that I have read, the indications at this point in time have been that this was done behind the Pac-12's back, that the, the, they met very recently and that there was no indication given from Colorado that they were thinking about a move to the Big 12. This is the beginning of the end for the Pac-12, at least the Pac-12 that we know, and it might be the beginning of the end for the current system that we have. We already have the bizarreness of Texas and Oklahoma playing in a conference that if you didn't know, by the way, where they were going, you would never guess where they are, in fact, going. It doesn't make sense. It's not about geography anymore. It's about money. And it's always been about money, but before the old model made sense because it made money, some pun intended. Whatever model they go to will be exclusively about making money, as was the old system. So you think some of those things mean rivalry games and things of that nature, but you can schedule those. We see teams schedule them all the time. Not everyone's going to survive. And maybe the new model means super conferences and 30-team conferences, and maybe it means a Premier League-style situation in college football. But this is the beginning of the end for the weaker, the smaller, and the less profitable. That's just the way it works. And finally, the ACC is feeling left out. Commissioner Jim Phillips said the league continues to actively consider adding teams, but has not found enough value in any expansion options. Phillips said in an interview with ESPN, the ACC has been and remains highly engaged in looking at anything that makes us better and stronger. 
The Big Ten already has some California schools. Why not? Who knows? Maybe there's a rivalry in there between Clemson and Arizona State somewhere. Maybe. Probably not. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Now go find your favorite team's Locked On podcast and make them your second listen. Coming up Monday, will Justin Verlander be on the move from the New York Mets at the deadline? So at least until tomorrow, stay Locked On Sports today.